Howdy, welcome back to another episode of our weekly podcast. We know you've got a buffet of media to choose from each week. That's why we put a lot of effort into finding stories from the Bible that have relevant lessons for us today. I hope you enjoy. How many of you have ever lost someone you loved? I think we all could say that is a very painful experience. And when these things happen, you try and make sense of it. You try and make sense of why did this happen? Maybe sometimes we we start to blame maybe that person, maybe people around them, maybe circumstances. Maybe we start to blame God. Maybe we blame ourselves. But usually when somebody dies, something like that starts to happen. We try and make sense of it. So it was interesting this week. I have to admit, I've never in my life, and I can say this because probably we're in an age of social media like never before, but never in my life have I been so saturated with people paying tribute to one person in all the world than the loss of Kobe Bryant and his daughter, Gianna, and seven other people on a helicopter crash. Never seen it. I remember when Pope John Paul II died years ago, We weren't in an age of such social media, so that may be why, but it's been quite profound. It's been amazing to see people so hurt by the loss of losing someone who's 41 years old, who they had been exposed to so much, especially in such a market like Los Angeles. He was a friend of many of the rich and famous of the world. Uh, We had uh, one of our own, TJ and Kimberly lost one of their best friends, Chris, a few weeks ago. And when these things happen, we're trying to figure out what is going on. It's interesting, though, when when we lose someone, it's not usually, I wish they were still here to tell me how much they love me. What is it? I wish I could tell them how much I love them. And to me, this is a reminder of something that is a little unique in that I believe that scripture is clear on this point. We were created to love, not necessarily to be loved. Being loved is a joy, it's great, it's awesome, and it it happens as long as we are loving. So when these things happen, usually it's, oh, if I could just, I just want to tell them I love them. And often it's because we didn't, or we didn't enough. And so we're trying to make sense of this. We start to ask things like, and most of my Instagram feed this week was Kobe and Gianna are playing basketball together in paradise. And, and so people start to ask, you know, where are they? And, and typically you don't hear, well, let me tell you, they are definitely in hell. You don't hear about that. And it's very interesting when we lose someone who's close to us, we don't usually think of all the bad in their life. And if we do, there's a traumatic experience there. We usually close that chapter and we say, man, I remember this moment. I remember this moment. This was a good moment. So usually then it's, they are in heaven. They are there in paradise. 
There is one school of thought, well, they're in purgatory. They're kind of in a middle place. And honestly, that's confusing. There's nothing in scripture to back that up. But these are the places people go in our minds when they die. And then there's the thought, well, they're looking down on us. And I thought about that this week because I heard some references. Kobe and Gianna are looking down on us. And I thought, I watched a video with Shaquille O'Neal, one of Kobe's teammates. They'd won championships together. They were friends, they were enemies, they were frenemies, and now they were friends again. Just breaking down, seeing a grown man just breaking down and really saying, I didn't tell him how much I cared about him, like I should have, enough. And in this moment, I thought, are all these people comforted with the thought that their friend Kobe and his beautiful daughter Gianna are in a happy place staring down on people like his wife Vanessa and siblings going through hell. And why does this matter? Because when we lose someone, we start to ask these questions. Where are they? Why didn't I tell them I loved them enough? We start to just try and make sense of all these different things. And the real issue is, if we, if we are believers in this book, or we're considering believing in this book, Scripture is pretty clear on this subject that this is over who is God? And oftentimes, because we don't know any better, we think, well, God is like me. God is like us. So if, if God is like us, then if we heard God has some people that he really isn't happy with burning in a hot oven while others are happy, do you know anybody in your life that does that? Well, they torture some people constantly because they did some bad things. But man, they're torturing them. And, and these people over here get to watch the torturing. It gets to be really confusing. And, and it backs up this, this story in Scripture that is between two individuals, Jesus and Lucifer. Two campaigns, love and selfishness. Two idea systems, kindness and covetousness. Giving and taking. And we have to determine which of these is the better system. My mom tells me that the reason she really made a turn in her life to come to the Lord and become a true follower of him was after she lost her mom to cancer. And people would tell her, well, your mom's looking down on you from heaven. And her response to me was, and the thought of her seeing her husband and children suffering in misery without her was not a consoling thought. Imagine, you're taken away right now into another place that's wonderfully happy while your friends and family are depressed, discouraged, turning to alcohol and whatever prescription or non-prescription drugs to cope with your loss. Their lives are ruined many times forever. How's that happy place treating you? It's not so happy. Happiness is with the people we love. 
When we think of vacation, it's not, man, I wish I could go there by myself. It's who could I go there with? We have a phrase, resting in peace, that Christianity no longer believes. See, there was a day when Christians believed what the Bible taught about death, and we're gonna look at that. But now Christians believe what the pagan world has always believed. When you die, you pass into the next dimension. And you have to start to ask those hard questions though in these moments. Yeah, but somebody we loved, is that dimension better without us? How is a place better without your friends there, your family there? And it's this idea, and then you add in the idea of, and then people that God doesn't like, he tortures. This lays arguably at the foundation of why many people don't want anything to do with Jesus or God. Because he's a psychopath who tortures his enemies and separates families because he took him? It was his time? If this has ever been confusing to you, it's because it's very confusing and has no basis in Scripture. So I'd like to look at with, with you at a few places of what does the Bible say about this? And to some of you who say, well, I've heard this before, I promise you I'm about to share some things with you, and especially to those of you who are Seventh-day Adventists, that is gonna turn your apple cart upside down to the point where you're gonna wonder if I'm telling you the truth. But please stay with me. So, but let's build our foundation first. And especially anybody under the age of 20, you go to Christian school maybe, you have Christian friends, the odds are these days they believe Kobe and Gianna are in heaven. That's what they believe. And we gotta figure out, is that the case? Is that what the author of this book says? So turn with me first to Genesis chapter two and verse seven. I don't wanna just tell you all things that you think, well, that's what he says, or we fall into the worst trap of Christianity. Well, my pastor says, because in scripture, the people who are held accountable the most that didn't fully tell the truth are pastors. I am the most dangerous person in your life. It's a pleasure to meet you. So Genesis chapter two and verse seven, make sure it's in your Bible and not just my version of my Bible. This is about how man and, and we as a species were created. The moment when, as we learn later, this is Jesus, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, there's where we get all our minerals and nutrients, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Two ingredients, like electricity and a light bulb, that have no good separate, but when you put them together, there's light. And in this case, there's life. And it says, and man became a living being, some versions say a living soul. All right, so there's ingredient one. Now turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 18. So this is still in the Older Testament here. And I'll admit recently, I've been using my digital Bible a lot and I'm not as fast at the uh, draw as I used to be. So Ezekiel 18 and verse 20. So we just learned, what are the ingredients to make up a soul, who we are? And then this ingredient, Ezekiel 18 and verse 20. 
The soul who sins shall die. And I'll just stop there. That's the summary of that, that text. So then we learn, man becomes a living soul. And if man sins, and scripture tells us all have sinned, man dies. So the unfortunate part of this story of this book is God created us. We all at one point or another thought he wasn't as smart as the book says he is. We chose our own way. This is called sin. And we have to die because of that. Not arbitrarily, but literally in a world, if we were confined and nothing else intervened, sin eventually leads to extinction. Because I want your stuff, then I'll kill you for it. He wants my stuff, he'll kill me. Eventually, everyone, I wanna sell you a product, I know it will kill you, but I just want some money so I can buy that thing. Now you're gonna die and you're gonna die. So everybody eventually dies with sin. That's why this, this idea in scripture, sometimes it seems, wow, that's harsh. That's, it's just the natural course of sin. Sin eventually destroys everything. So here we we're told that this is the ingredients of man, this is how we all die. And then there's the underlying thing. You either believe what scripture says, which is the soul is not immortal, or you believe what Lucifer says, and he has some scripture in this book, and he says the soul is immortal. You don't ever die. And you have to determine who's telling the truth. Jesus? Or Lucifer. Turn with me somewhere else. Ecclesiastes. So the wisest man who ever lived wrote Ecclesiastes. Solomon. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And the reason I just want to reiterate people who are Christians, this week I heard so many references that were directly opposed to what this book teaches. And that's confusing. Because people believe, well, Christians teach clearly because of their Bible, when you die, you go to heaven. And where we're going is, and then how do you start to talk to the dead? Ecclesiastes chapter nine, verses five and six and 10. Here we go, uh, verse five. For the living know that they will die. Sadly, we know that more and more as we get older. We know that we will die. But the, and, and especially when people around us do die. But the dead know nothing. The dead know nothing, for they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. It's a little discouraging. Also their, now here we go. Also their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. Now I want you to think about this. Let's just be real practical with a real current event. Kobe and Gianna had so many friends, family that loved them, and they loved a lot of people. We already know the teaching that the soul does not live on forever, but let's just assume it did. This tells us that wherever they are, they don't know anything, and they don't love. Doesn't that seem strange? If I'm at any bit me somewhere else, I still love. And this is saying, nope, they have no love. They don't have no hatred. They have no envy. Everything is gone. Verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you're going. 
So it's building on this idea in scripture that when we die, we sleep. That was our, our verse that uh, was the scripture. I'll just tell you this one, and then we're gonna turn to Job. So start turning to the book of Job. Psalm 115 verse 17 says, the dead do not praise the Lord. So let's again assume the dead go to heaven, the Christian ones especially, when they die. Scripture says here, yeah, but they don't praise the Lord. That's kind of strange because we read so many times in Scripture of the angels and everyone else singing and praising the Lord and thank you, Jesus, for redeeming me, which is a form of praise. You'd have to get rid of this verse. Well, uh, but when Christians go to heaven, they do not say thank you to Jesus. They are not grateful. No praising going on. I just hope you're seeing these are all conflicting ideas with an opinion that people go straight to heaven when they die. Job chapter 14. Job chapter 14 and verse 12. Again, this, this reality of death. Verse 12 says, So man lies down and does not rise till the heavens are no more. They will not awake nor be roused from their sleep. And there's just so many more verses we could go through. And I have a lot of them that if you want to look through these, which I'd encourage you to, we're going to put them online and you can walk through the notes. Again, why does this all matter? It goes back to the beginning of this story of scripture. Man is created, is told you're going to live forever. They have to be tested to make sure that they want this. And they choose, no, this talking snake in a tree says that maybe you're not telling us the truth. And he says, maybe we won't die if we choose our own way. Remember that verse? In the day you eat of the fruit, Jesus says, I've told you not to eat, you will die. It's this idea that actions have consequences. In the world today, I'm afraid that idea is being attacked. Well, actions really don't have consequences. It really doesn't matter what you do. You're gonna float off into a cloud in heaven. And of all the descriptions, if I took all the descriptions of heaven, they sound pretty bad these days. Heaven has a bad marketing department. It's like, oh, I don't want to be there. The best versions are naked babies with like shooting arrows through harps. And this does not sound like a good place. And so I think Lucifer's done a, done a good job of making it sound like a place you don't really want to go to. But if your relatives are there, I guess you have to. But it's this idea of Lucifer saying, you don't need God to live. You don't have to follow him. You don't even need him. Whatever you want to do, you can have it, you can taste it, and you'll pass on into the next life of paradise. But there's something that I think is really important with this story of scripture, and it's this. It's not about what you do. It is about not what you know, but the question is asked, does Jesus know you? And I was wondering recently, why does Jesus keep saying that? I never knew you. Why does he make this the all-important thing? If we really go back to the dust, to all those that don't, aren't alive and remain at the end, which there's gonna be a group, I'd like to think that's us. But there, for the majority, we go back to the dust where we came from and we become minerals and nutrients again. The only way I come back in another life when Jesus says so, 
is if he remembers me because he has to recreate me. He did it in the womb the first time. He has to do it like he did with Adam the second time. He has to remember me. And think about it. It's, it's demonstrated in the thief on the cross's experience. Jesus, when you come in your kingdom, remember me. I'll be ashes. I will have disappeared. No one will remember me. I will have no emotions. Recreate me when you come back. There's a lot of superstition around cremation and burial and all these things. At the end of the day, Jesus is going to have to do some recreating. And we're told in much better bodies and mindsets than we ever could have imagined now. So why is this important? It's important because this week I watched some things and I realized how confused the world is about this. This grieving, this longing, this I'd do anything to see them, hug them, hear them, talk to them again. I'd do anything. And so what do people do in history when they would do anything to see their loved one again? One of the strongest things is by participating in a seance. It's interesting to read about the accounts of Mary Todd Lincoln. When her and Abraham Lincoln had lost one of their children, she got very caught up in going to seances to see their child. Lincoln went a few times and thought, something is not right here, and it always disturbed him, but she wanted to see their boy no matter what. And there's another example in Scripture with King Saul. He has, it's in 1 Samuel 28. He has not heard from the Lord in a long time. He knows that God has moved on and he's gonna pick another king and, and he knows it's David. And David, well, he's been hunting to kill David for years. Saul is desperate. Samuel, the great prophet of Israel who God spoke to directly and he would then go talk to Saul and he'd talk to others. Samuel has just died. And Saul sees that there are enemies at war encamped around them and he's desperate. He followed the right things that God had shown him. He got rid of all the, uh, the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. But at this moment, in this pivotal moment, I just want to feel something from God. And so he asks his men, it's quite an interesting story. He asks his men, hey, do, we, do you know of any uh, mediums in the land? Now they know because they're the closest to him. Those are the ones you asked everyone to get out of the land because that leads to trouble. And it's interesting in scripture, they immediately respond with, yeah, yeah, we know one. We know where one's at, which I found very strange as I read this story again this week. And he says, take me to her. She was known as the witch of Endor. And as the story goes, he gets there and he basically just says, I want to talk to Samuel. Bring him up from the dead for me. A lot of people think, well, then he was talking to Samuel. This was a resurrection. As it goes in, she realizes this is not what it is. I'd encourage you to read that. When we lose people, we get desperate. And we have to be very careful of going against Scripture to go talk to them again. And Samuel is dead, Saul literally loses all reasoning. 
And he just says, I want to talk to Samuel. Bring him up from the dead. And so one of the fallen angels comes up, appearing as Samuel, discourages Saul to the point where he loses all hope and faith in everything. This week I had somebody send me something. After I'm reading all these different things, everyone's so emotional, and rightfully so, as they've lost somebody they loved. And this was the headline. I want, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of you have just lost someone you loved. And if you ever lost a spouse, that little sound you're hearing will go away. I think it's a trick somebody said on me to go off in the middle of the sermon. Um, you've just lost a spouse. Picture you are, in this moment, Vanessa Bryant. You've lost your husband. You've lost your daughter. A Ghanaian prophet claims he can resurrect Kobe and Gianna for 10% of the deceased's total wealth as tithe. Now, when I first read it, I thought, oh. Then I thought, man, if you're in that moment, an estimated net worth of $500, $800 million, what's 50 or $80 million? If literally she was guaranteed 50 or $80 million that you're gonna bring back my loved ones, absolutely, Right? I hope, I hope you're with me. If you knew somebody you loved could come back from the dead for 10% of your net worth, I don't think there's a person in there who wouldn't say, give me that person. And it goes on to say this. A Ghanaian prophet is claiming that he has the power to resurrect celebrated basketball legend Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gianna, saying that the Lord had instructed him to bring back to life the NBA legend. Then he quotes, the Lord just took me into the spirit world and the Lord has not sanctioned the death of this man. Admit with me, it's tempting to wonder. Now, it didn't say just talk to him. It literally said, resurrect him. Now, what's awkward about this, in my Bible and yours, there are resurrections. In our scripture reading, Jesus was headed to the house of a dead man, his friend Lazarus. And everybody says, well, why are we going in such haste? He said, oh, well, he's sleeping. Oh, that's okay, he'll wake up. No, no, no. I'm talking about Lazarus is dead. And he gets there, and it's been past the customary three days. Well, maybe you're totally dead in three days. No, he's totally dead. <laughs> Completely dead, all dead. Not mostly dead, all dead. And he's resurrected. So I, wrote, I read this, and I thought, man, that is interesting. Everything in my body says weird, strange. But could the Lord do that? I guess he could. I, I guess he could. And then it made me start to think about some of my own experience. I remember when a few years ago, I lost my dad in a car accident, something very tragic, very sudden. You start to have dreams at least I did. I've had a few friends, when I shared this recently, a little while back, they had said they, that had some similar events happen to them. Dreams are interesting because dreams, like where do dreams come from? I told you I'm going somewhere crazy, so hang tight. Where do dreams come from? I cannot command my dreams. As much as I'd like to sometimes, I can't. Uh, the top-rated film of the last decade 
is a film about the inception of dreams. Dreams fascinate us. I mean, in our study this morning, the dream of a king is where Adventists start every evangelistic series. I'd like to tell you about someone that can talk to people in dreams and tell them the future. So this isn't foreign to a Bible student. So I started to have some dreams where it was, it was very conflicting. I was talking to my dad, but I felt like I knew sometimes, didn't you die? Like, are we supposed to be having this conversation? I mean, I was raised with this book and I, I know what the Bible says about the dead. So this feels awkward. I'm, I'm waiting till that morning when the trumpet sounds and Jesus says, Scott, come forth. So this feels awkward. And those dreams are emotional. If you've ever dreamed about somebody you've lost, they're emotional. Which makes what I'm about to read all the more interesting. So someone who was in the very beginnings of the Advent movement, when these Baptists, Catholics, Methodists, and all these group of hodgepodge of Christians said, you know what, I think this book actually tells Jesus is gonna come back a second time. I don't think he's gonna move here and set up shop for a thousand years and all this crazy stuff the world teaches. I actually think he's gonna come because earth is gonna get so bad that we gotta get off the planet. Then he'll come back and recreate it. This group started to come together and called themselves Millerites. Then eventually they figured some more things out and they called themselves Adventists. One of these was a lady named Ellen Harmon. She married a young man named James White. She is very influential in the Advent movement. She's just lost her husband. He has died. And then she has a dream. The same year, in 1881. And she writes this dream. Here it is. A few days since, I was pleading with the Lord for light in regard to my duty. I want you to just picture somebody who's lost the man they love so much in the world. Writing this down. In the night, I dreamed I was in the carriage. That was their mode of transportation. Driving, sitting at the right hand. And father, so she's writing this and and often she described James as dad, father, James White. He was in the carriage, seated at my left hand. He was very pale, but calm and composed. Why father, I exclaimed, I'm so happy to have you by my side once more. I have felt that half of me was gone. I saw you die. I saw you buried. Has the Lord pitied me and let you come back to me again? And we work together as we used to? He looked very sad. He said, the Lord knows what is best for you and for me. My work was very dear to me. We have made a mistake. We have responded to urgent invitations of our brethren to attend important meetings. We had not the heart to refuse. These meetings have worn us both more than we were aware. Now, Ellen, calls will be made as they have been, desiring you to attend important meetings. 
as has been the case in the past. But lay this matter before God and make no response to the most earnest invitations. Your life hangs, as it were, upon a thread. God knows it all. He continues, I regret that I have felt so deeply and labored unreasonably in emergencies, listen to this, regardless of the laws of life and health. The Lord did not require us to carry so heavy burdens and many of our brethren so few. We ought to have gone to the Pacific coast before and devoted our time and energies to writing. Will you do this now? She responds, well, said I, James, you are always to stay with me now and we will work together. Then he said, I stayed in Battle Creek too long. I ought to have gone to California more than one year ago, but I wanted to help the work and institutions at Battle Creek and I have made a mistake. Then she writes, I awoke. And I'm just reading portions of the dream. It's a lot longer. I awoke, but this dream, this dream seems so real. Now you can see and understand why I feel no duty to go to Battle Creek. Now, after all that I've said to you, I hope that what I've just read to you is shocking. Anybody, like, what are you reading? So last night I said, is this real? So I reached out to a friend who works at the, what's called the White Estate, the, the estate that guards all these writings. I said, is this real? And the response was, there were three dreams like that. I said, this is strange. This is strange. Having dreams with your loved one that has died and giving you counsel for the future, that goes against everything I believe. That goes against everything I find this book to be true. But, and I want to put a huge, huge caveat here. God does speak in dreams throughout this book. Over and over and over again. And there's a promise that at the very closing moments of time, it will be the means by which he speaks to people very heavily once again. Especially to kids. And it says to everybody. So I guess my question is, what do we do with that? What do we do with something that is just, ah, what is this? And what do I do with this? And I came to a verse in Isaiah. If you would, please turn there with me. Isaiah chapter eight. Because it's very easy, especially in the Adventist church, in any church teaching all the truths of scripture, it is very easy to dwell and stay in the land of theory. And Rick, this is true, this is true, this is true. Take that medication of truth and you'll be good today. And a lot of times we stay in the land of truth. And I have to admit, when I read these things, you start to really ask a lot of harder questions. And what, what the Lord led me to was Isaiah chapter eight and verse 20. And it's interesting in verse 19, it says, when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards, who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? So it's making a point here in Isaiah. 
And the reason I'm so passionate about this is because more and more we're hearing in this world about people talking to those on the other side. We've talked about this here many times, but it's, it's becoming a more and more of an issue. This week, more than ever before. Honestly, when I read that article, I thought, this would be the wildest thing ever if this Ghanaian prophet, who I've never heard of, literally, and he just said, give your tithes to the church. It wasn't like, give them to me personally. So I'm like, that's, that's kind of noble. What if this guy was resurrected? What would that do for people's faith on this planet? And I know for me, as I was wrestling with it, I'm like, whoa, this is real life. Like the, the laboratory of neat and, and safe and okay ideas, we have entered the real world where all these teachings of scripture are not outdated, but they have got to make sense in our day-to-day reality. And the next verse here says, it gives us the filter. Whether you have dreams or you think you just saw your grandmother appear to you last night in your closet. Because it is hard to, to understand the emotions that go through when you've lost someone and everything in your body wants to see them again. Scripture gives you a filter. And it says, to the law and to the testimony, which is this book, if they, meaning any of these apparitions, do not speak according to this word, as I hold my Bible. It is because there is no light in them. And so the dangerous thing today, and why I said I could be the most dangerous person in your life, is most, and I will say that, most that stand behind pulpits are not doing it for the right reasons. They're either doing it to become famous or become popular or as we see with some of the extreme cases, to get rich and buy their new jets. But the temptation is, well, most of what the pastor says seems true. And scripture here is saying that's the most dangerous place you can find yourself. Because if it's not all true, it's all fake. It's all false. If they don't speak according to everything in here, you must throw it out. So when I read that dream, I thought, oh, that's strange. But you know what? Match the filter. The filter is good. Now, usually there's a lot of filters. I mean, we just talked about some filters. If I see, if I see my dad appear to me, I instantly know Scripture says that will not happen. King David, who is called a man after God's own heart, Scripture tells me he did not go to paradise. He's sleeping in the ground. So we have so much in scripture to tell us what the truth is about this reality of death. But in the event you are faced with something emotionally overwhelming that you cannot seem to cipher, go to this verse and say, Lord, you said everything must fall either here or even if there's one bit of error, it's totally thrown out. That's our only safe guide. And we are on the verge of seeing people preach 99.9% truth and they will lead us to hell. You have to be in this book to know what you're seeing with your own senses may not be reality. So if, if you with me want to commit, Lord, show me how to get into this book to make it real. So that when my friends come to me and say, hey, do you think Kobe's in heaven? 
Or, hey, I just spoke to my best friend. He died in a car crash. He was only 13. Who wants to commit to say, I only want to believe what's in this book, even if my senses tell me differently? Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We record these messages each week at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Adairsville. And if you're ever in the area, we'd love to see you. Stop in and say hi and enjoy some good Southern food with us. We'll see you next week.